Today, answers matter more than ever before. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage customer questions with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to work for any industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash Watson Assistant. Challenge with the little Michael Jordan twist. You keep doing those videos at home. We will keep putting them on TV. Welcome to the jump. I'm Rachel Nichols, along New York Times bestselling author Brian Winhorst. I'm sorry you just had to see Jordan over Elo again, but you know <laughs> you'll recover from your Ohio youth. The 2008 Finals MVP Paul Pierce. Coming up, we're running back Paul's epic fourth quarter versus the Nets in 2002. That was the Eastern Conference Finals. On this date. He outscored the entire Nets team. We will get into that. But first, yes, guys, we are starting to see details take shape on how, when, and even where the NBA season might resume. Over the weekend, we saw NBA Communications Chief Mike Bass confirm the league is in talks to use Disney's Wide World of Sports Complex near Orlando as a single site for an NBA campus for games, practices, and housing. Now, Disney, our parent company here at ESPN, is, of course, a league partner already. And the complex down there is huge. It's roughly 220 acres with multiple arenas. It's adjacent to Disney's 24,000 hotel rooms. And NBA players have familiarity there already, too. The junior NBA World Championships have been held there, plus other youth tournaments. In fact, Trey Young took to Twitter to respond to the news with, Hey, it's like AAU Nationals all over again. So that is the where. And Adrian Wojnarowski and Zach Lowe reported last week the when that teams expected Adam Silver to formally announce the NBA res- resuming sometime in June with actual games starting by late July. So, Brian, what has been the reaction around the league to these details taking shape? Well, Rachel, we have basically a deadline for Friday when the Board of Governors, the owners meeting is going to be taking place and they want to have things finalized. So right now, behind the scenes, we are seeing a lot of horse trading, haggling and discussion about what they're going to be able to present to them and what they're going to put forward to the teams and the union to put together. The more people I talk to... While everybody recognizes that 30 teams is still on the table, uh, most people I talk to do not think it's going to be all 30 teams. Most people think it's either going to be playoffs only or some sort of playoffs plus model where there's a play-in. And there may even be, uh, there's going to be some discussion about seeding the teams 1 through 16 since there's no travel issues here. Uh, how this all you know, gets sorted out is going to be a lot of discussion between now and Friday, but we are on traction to get something of a plan by the end of the week. Well, Paul, from a player's perspective, do you think most of the guys in the league would have preferred Vegas as the site to resuming the season in Orlando? I know how you guys feel about Las Vegas. Of course you'll prefer, <laughs> of course you'll prefer Vegas. I mean, it's Vegas, but I think it makes more sense. You know, Orlando, uh, Disney World gives you that campus type feel outside of a college campus. This is a place where you can have more containment, 
you know, once the protocols are, are put into place, you know, on, on a daily basis, uh, it's just easier to control uh, other than going to Vegas where, you know, hotels will be opening pretty soon, I believe in a couple of weeks, and it'll be hard to keep uh, players in, in a contained environment uh, so they can, uh, you know, follow protocols. See, Paul, this is how I know you've matured. I think there was a time 10 years ago where you would have said, come on, we got to do it in Vegas. And now you're saying we would have liked <laughs> Vegas, but Orlando is smarter. I know there were some guys who had visions of a casino operating inside the hotel where they were quarantined. Hey, maybe they can still set that up in Orlando. All right. So that is a little bit mm-hmm. of the where and when. Brian touched on the who, and I want to get more into that. Do all 30 teams participate in this? ESPN has reported there are multiple scenarios floating around. You could have all 30 teams play a reduced number of regular season games than the top eight in each conference advance. You could have some regular season games, but a play-in tournament for the final playoff spot. You could have play-in models with less than 30 teams. You could have only 16 teams from the start go straight to playoffs. So, look, there's issues here about whether teams who are closer to breaking into the playoffs could still compete. There's teams at the bottom, like the Cavs or the Warriors, who don't really want to come back at all. It doesn't really make sense for them since they're out of it. The Athletic reported the NBA has sent the league's general managers a survey asking which option they preferred. Paul, what do you think is the best option? You know, when I think about it, I think you should go with 18 teams. At least you give that ninth seed at the, at the time uh, opportunity uh, to try to play this their way in. I mean, it was so exciting. The end of the year was coming up and you had teams. This is where teams are jockeying for playoff position, uh, especially in that ninth, uh, eighth seed. And then, you know, teams at the top, you know, they're jockeying for for playoff position for home court advantage. So if, if I had to mem- minimalize it, mm-hmm then I would go at 18 teams and give that ninth seed a chance at least. Yeah, I, that's LeBron, is, LeBron has mentioned this in some of the interviews he's given, is that he's worried about immediately going into a playoff game, like right from a training camp into playoffs. And I recognize that, and the NBA may have to address that with some sort of play-in tournament or exhibition games. But you know what, Rachel? Adam Silver has put forth a few things that he would like to change about the NBA, and he hasn't been able to get traction on them. He's tried to institute a, a play-in tournament. He's tried to talk about seeding 1 through 16 and then reseeding after each round like they do in other sports, and he hasn't been able to do it. This is his moment. He is going to potentially be able, if he wants to, to force through these things and sort of create a one-off opportunity. And frankly, if the more challenging this becomes, the more legitimacy the championship will take on. And we'll see if he's able to do it or if he gets the owner's support to do it by the end of the week. Well, a play-in tournament would certainly help sort of goose the beginning of this NBA sort of playoff scenario. We all know the first round doesn't usually produce great games, so if the NBA kicks off with just the playoffs or even just a couple exhibition games before, I see a danger of the NBA starting with a little bit of a dud. But the bottom line is the more players, the more teams you put into this mix, the more danger there is. There's more risk that the virus is going to upset the fragile sort of coalition that you're rebuilding here. So I have a hard time seeing it being all 30 teams. Paul, I like your idea of 18 teams. It gives us a little bit of juice right at the beginning, but not too many extra bodies in the building. We'll have to see what they decide. All right, coming up, Charles Barkley roasts Tom Brady's golf game during the Champions for Charity event. That's a sentence I never thought I'd say six months ago. But Brady got the last laugh after sinking the shot of the day. We will discuss first, though. It's time for our distant replay. This is from this date in NBA history. That's a good one. 
seconds left in the fourth quarter. Starks. Yes! What a move by Starks, who was able to sky to the basket. The Bulls call for time. John Starks with the move of the night. Drexler outside. Maloney. Johnson at the buzzer. Johnson hits at the buzzer to give the Rockets a 95-92 win over the Jazz and the same prize that resounded through this building on Friday night are raking the rounds again. No timeouts left. They've got to get the ball in. 2.9 seconds. Harper's on Miller. McKee gets it in the middle for the win. It's there. Four tenths of a second. Playoff performers of his generation has apparently done it again. What a killer shot by Reggie Miller. I know exactly how he feels. You're coming off that screen, you catch it, you square up, and you let it go. It could be a routine drive to pick up the kids after school or an epic road trip across the country. No matter where your travels take you, we know those miles count. We're Marathon. We have over 5,700 stations across our great nation. Our people are working hard every day to provide you with quality top-tier gasoline to improve engine performance and fuel your life. Marathon, fueling the American spirit. GEICO has the insurance industry-leading app that lets you manage your policy anytime, anywhere, which means that GEICO is always there for you, if only everyone was always there for you, like animal control, when you're cornered in your garage by an angry possum. Hi, me again. Uh, you guys said you would be here about an hour ago, and um, I think the possum is starting to get angry. I, uh, listen, I thought if I fed it, it would go away, but now it is ripping holes in the drywall and making some sort of nest. Just call me back. <laughs> GEICO, always there for you with savings and the industry-leading mobile app. Wednesday on ESPN and the app, relive a couple of NBA history makers that happened on April 13, 2016. At 7 Eastern, the 73rd win by the Warriors against the Grizzlies. And then Kobe's last game when he went off for 60 against the Jazz at Staples Center. All right, on this date today in 2002, Paul Pierce led the Celtics to a 21-point comeback over the Nets in Game 3 of the Eastern Conference Finals. That is tied for the largest comeback entering the fourth quarter in NBA player history. The other ones was the Clippers rally against the Grizz in 2012. Now in the Boston game, the truth outscored the entire Nets team 19 to 16 by himself in the fourth quarter. Paul, how much trash did you talk during this comeback? That's my question. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it wasn't a lot of a lot of trash talking going on at the time, and we were getting our butts kicked pretty bad, man. And it's just, I remember from that game, just like not putting enough fight into the game. And I'm so prideful and competitive that I wasn't gonna go out like that. It was embarrassing to be losing like that on your home court one in the conference finals to a team that we beat four times in a regular season, and it was just it was mind boggling to me. But that's how good Jason Kidd was, and. You know, our team just has so much pride. You know, Antoine was battling. He gave me a great speech, uh, as everybody knows, right there in that timeout. He was just like, look, don't look at the scoreboard. You're going to go out here and fight. Stop crying to the refs. Just go out there and play your game. And, 
you know, that year I was one of the best fourth quarter players and I always had confidence no matter how bad I played through the first three quarters that I was going to come up big in the fourth. I just think today is the day you want to send our friend Richard Jefferson a little text, Paul, or something reminding him. <laughs> and on top of that, I had Richard Jefferson guard me. Come on now. <laughs> or not a text. You can just take the shot at him right here on this show. <laughs> Brian, uh, Paul's flashback reminded us that we should be right in the thick of the conference finals right now. So what is the best conference final game you were ever in the building for? We got Paul's. Paul, I'm sorry to bring this one up. 2012, Game 6 at TD Garden in Boston. It's the best game of LeBron James' career. Uh, 45 points. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Game. Uh, had an absolutely unbelievable first 15 minutes of that game. That determined the, the, the course of multiple teams. That The Heat had lost that game. I think the Celtics would have won the title that year. And the Heat might have gotten broken up. Instead, the Heat won the next two titles. And the Celtics were never able to get back there. And Paul ends up as a Brooklyn Net. Um, there were other incredible performances in LeBron's career, but none with that stakes when he had no rings. That, to me, is a game I'll always remember. Paul, I remember yeah, that's seeing. That's a game Le- I'll never forget too. Yeah, well, I remember seeing LeBron Paul as he walked on the court for pregame, and he just looked like he had been almost possessed. And he said to me at the time, he said, "You just watch. This is going to be different." What was it like when you guys were on the court and knowing what the stakes were in this game in that game? Man, let me tell you something. I mean, we had an opportunity to go to the finals again in 2012, and LeBron just played out of his mind. I mean, to be. To sit there and watch that and look at a player knowing there was nothing you can do that day. I've been that player at times in my career, but nothing like this. I mean, it was one of the greatest performances that uh, I've ever seen somebody put on me while I was on the court. It was, it was, it was unreal, man. I, I, Oof, that was tough. <laughs> well, I got to go back to game. I mean, it wasn't just layups and dunk and athleticism, though. If you watch the yeah. game, he was hitting fadeaway right. jumpers. And the scout report on him was like, you know, give him some room. That's right. You know, let him shoot. But he, I, I promise you, he hit every shot that day. For sure. I, I got to go back to game five of the 2007 Eastern Conference Finals for mine. It also involved LeBron, but he was only 22 at the time. He scored 48 points, including the Cavs' final 25 and 29 of the final 30 to get Cleveland past the Pistons, double overtime. That eventually, of course, led to him making the finals for the first time at age 22. And it was just crazy because we talked about in the Michael Jordan documentary how the Pistons were sort of Michael Jordan's team that he had to get past and finally climb to make the finals and it meant that he had arrived and certainly again the Pistons at the time in the early 2000s were the team that was dominating in the Eastern Conference they were in the Eastern Conference finals over and over and over again and to see LeBron at that young age think it's just a couple years from the age Zion Williamson is now take control of a game against that veteran team and just literally be the only one scoring. It was like a video game. And I was reporting for Sports Center at the time, so they had me standing kind of in the corner of the court in that position where you can rush onto the court 10 seconds later to interview the guy one-on-one and do those three quick questions. And when you do one of those interviews, you go down with maybe like five minutes to go in the game because you think, oh, okay, in five minutes we're going to go do this thing on the court. I was standing there through the last five minutes of the fourth quarter, both double overtimes, and each time all I can see is LeBron actually, I was I was near the basket that LeBron was scoring on, just rushing toward us over and over and over again. It didn't stop till Cleveland won 109 to 107. 
Rachel, it was so hot in that gym that night. I was so hot. The air conditioning wasn't working. It was the first hot day of the summer. LeBron needed an IV after the game. And if you go back and watch it, it was a terrible basketball game with a great <laughs> performance. <laughs> Are you saying those Pistons teams were low scoring? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Before we go to break, I do want to take a moment more seriously because we need to remember the legacy of legendary coach Eddie Sutton. He died on Saturday at the age of 84 of natural causes. Sutton is the first college hoops coach to lead four different teams to the NCAA tournament. He is best known for a successful run at his alma mater, Oklahoma State, where they made two Final Fours. Sutton won more than 800 games as a head coach. 13 of his players were first-round picks, including Sidney Moncrief and Tony Allen. And less than two months ago, he was informed he would be a member of the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame 2020 class. Sutton is expected to be posthumously inducted in August, along with Kobe Bryant. Our condolences go out to the entire Sutton family, as well as all of his former players and staff. The Jump will be right back. It could be a routine drive to pick up the kids after school, or an epic road trip across the country. No matter where your travels take you, we know those miles count. We're Marathon. We have over 5,700 stations across our great nation. Our people are working hard every day to provide you with quality top-tier gasoline to improve engine performance and fuel your life. Marathon, fueling the American spirit. Coming up on ESPN, Jalen and Jacoby at 4 p.m., followed by Highly Questionable around the horn. Then at 5 p.m., a fresh sports center with the PTI guys joining at 5.30. And here on The Jump, it's crunch time. First up, we'd all want to wish a happy belated birthday to our resident Hall of Famer, Mr. Tracy McGrady. He turned 41 on Sunday, but still one of the youngest Hall of Famers to ever walk the planet. Brian, we're running through all of our favorite versions of T-Mac. we got dunking T-Mac, scoring T-Mac, fighting T-Mac, my personal favorite, dancing T-Mac. What is your favorite, Tracy McGrady? Scoring T-Mac. I saw my first year covering the league score 36 points and a half. That's something I'll never forget. Man, let me tell you something I'll never forget. When we was in the All-Star game one year, when he threw the ball off the backboard, and then caught it and dunked. Because that's something I've never seen in a game someone do yep. before that All-Star game. And then after that, you saw people doing it in NBA games. You know, guys would throw it off the backboard, catch and shoot, but they throw it off and dunk the ball. That was one of the greatest plays I've seen in the All-Star game, period, from T-Mac. Happy birthday, T-Mac. Still amazing. All right. We may not have had basketball back yet, but thanks to the powers above and in Atlanta, we got Charles Barkley back on the mic yesterday providing commentary for TNT's Champions for Charity golf match between Tiger, Phil, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady. Now, things did not start out well for Brady. You know you're struggling when even Chuck is making fun of your golf swing. Impressively, though, TB12 rebounded with a shot of the match on seven, holing in a birdie from way downtown. But then, of course, he split open his pants when he was retrieving the ball from the cup, a mixed bag there. But by the time it was all done, Brady got back at Barkley with his own tweet saying, quote, I thought this was champions for charity, Chuck. Paul, does the whole day basically just prove that your guy, Tom, is the goat of goats? <laughs> 
the goat of goats. Come on now. You got to watch what you say to this guy. You know, he, 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 it's just something he has for the spotlight. You know, no matter how bad things are going, he's going to find a way to amaze you, which he's done on the football field and now on the golf course. I mean, just goats being goats. I want to say something here. That shot where he spun the ball back in, one hole after he shanked the chip, I'm not so sure I've been more surprised by anything I've seen in live sports in my life than him hitting that shot. It may have been the first time yeah. in the history of golf a guy shanked a chip on one hole and then spun a shot back in from the fairway. Not just anybody can get lucky and hole one, but spun it back in, flabbergasted when I watched that. <laughs> it was amazing. This really humanized Tom Brady in a way, right? We're used to seeing him be so good at the thing he does professionally, play football, and it turned him into an underdog. I didn't know that that could happen. I think the whole country was rooting for him, except maybe a few people in Boston. All right, we got some good news this morning. NBA legend and Georgetown coach Patrick Ewing out of the hospital as he recovers from COVID-19, according to his son, oh, Patrick man, Ewing good. Jr. Patrick, of course, a guest on the show just a little more than a week ago, wrote in a tweet, quote, this virus is serious, should not be taken lightly. I want to encourage everyone to stay safe, take care of yourself and your loved ones. So please, everyone listen to Patrick Ewing. That's something you should be doing anyway in all, all aspects of your life, but particularly this one. And everyone here at ESPN certainly hoping Patrick makes a full recovery. All right, time to jump around as we see what some other sports are doing. And we wanted to look at the crowd noise question for games played without crowds, right? ESPN has been broadcasting Korean baseball organization games and with no fans in the stands. Our production team has been feeding what we call canned crowd noise in to make it feel like more of a normal game. That's received generally positive reviews, but what about in soccer? Germany's Bundesliga restarted their season over the weekend, and FS1 elected to also feed in crowd noise during the match. That drew the attention of more of NBA Twitter, predicting which games would be have crowd noise, what they would look and sound like. Paul, what do you think? Would it be weird if the NBA didn't have any crowd noise? Should we the broadcast partners? <laughs> I mean, pipes it's going to be very. It's going to be very weird. I mean, but at the end of the day, you know, listen to this. What about the other team? What if they're not? What if they're playing well? Do. You put the boo sound on. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't get. Where does momentum and where does home court advantage come in? That I mean, does the are you going to cheer for both teams? Uh, it's going to be weird when you when you hear a crowd noise and you look up and there's nobody there. I mean, I, I can't imagine it because I've never done it, been a part of that. But it, it's going to be weird, man, at first. But I think the players will get used to it eventually. Well, one thing about NBA games, guys, is there there's music is played over the games regularly. So no, no matter what they do with the crowd. I think they should continue to play the music. I think you continue to have the PA announcer, have the players feel at home. But it's going to be trial and error. We're going to do things in week three or four of this that will be different from what we do at the start. But I don't think we just want squeaking shoes, whistles, and echoes off empty, off empty walls. Paul, that's such a good point about yeah. whether it's the home team or away team and what kind of crowd noise you pipe in. I never thought yeah. of that. But maybe, I guess, I don't know, if we combine both of your ideas there, maybe, Brian, they get the home team announcer for who it would have technically been a home game and just even over Zoom or something, have them calling the game <laughs> and, and sort of tweaking the crowd in their direction. I'd love to see, like, guest DJs, right? I saw someone suggesting that, the idea that someone should, like, guest DJ the music for the, for as you say, for the game. Games and they could do that off of Zoom too. They wouldn't even have to be in the single site. So I think there's stuff. 
And then they got to talk about what we're going to do about what we see, right? Are they going to do those cardboard cutouts we've seen? We did see Korean baseball so. get in trouble for some of that, so we'll see. <laughs> Why not? So much to work out. The Jump will be back tomorrow. We'll discuss all more.